You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. My name is Harrison Ford. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's a pleasure to be with you this afternoon. Thanks for being here. So my family and I just got back from our annual pilgrimage that we make through the Deep South to visit visit our families, show them that we're still alive. And uh, while we were down there, we were in New Orleans seeing Brittany's parents. And... We are typically in New Orleans around New New Year's Eve, so we've had this kind of annual tradition now of her parents, they do kind of this late, it's funny, we go out to dinner really early and they go out really really late, Um, so they watch the kids for us and we did, we always do a New Year's Eve dinner at one of, you know, New Orleans great restaurants. And another part of this tradition is that while we're there, we try and reflect on the past year. And the way that we do that is we get our phones and we look through um, all of the pictures that we've taken over the past year, just to kind of remind ourselves of what has happened. And then we try and reflect on what we hope to come for, uh, in the next year. And I remember a few years ago feeling distinctly optimistic when we did this. Uh, we were coming out of a season of loss and hardship Um, And I remember that I just thought that I could sense that we were seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. I remember telling Brittany, I said, look, I, you know, I feel better about this year than any year that I felt about in previous years. I feel like this is a year in which I'm just going to experience a lot of change and a lot of growth. And so, you know, with a glimmer of hope in our eye, we uh, raised our glasses and we, we toasted and we kissed. And I said, you know what? This is really going to be our year. Here's the 2020. (laughs) I think we know how that story went. Uh, Everything in the world changed, except for me, as it turned out. All of my hopes and dreams and aspirations of changing were out the door by April, and I just decided to remain the bottom feeder that I've always been. (laughs) Maybe that's not how 2020 played out for you, though. Um, But I do think that you probably know this feeling, this feeling of realizing that you need to change, gearing up to do it, and then everything coming crashing and burning around you. And if you don't believe me that this is a universal experience or phenomenon, look at the best sellers lists, the best selling books, uh, the most listened to podcasts, the most downloaded apps. They all have to do with self-help and personal growth. And it's because of this very same thing. We all realize, or we all want to change, but we struggle to do it. For all of our books, for all of our apps, for all the YouTube videos, we struggle to actually accomplish the change that we so desperately want. This isn't a new problem, though. If you look back in Romans 7, St. Paul says, uh, For I do not understand my own actions. Pretty relatable. He says, for I do not do what I want, but I, but I do the very thing that I hate. 
I wonder if you've ever felt that before. I don't do the things that I want to do. I only do the things that I wish I didn't do. I think we've all been in that spot before. But Paul then goes on in Romans to give us a glimmer of hope. In Romans 8, he says, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of spirit and death. In a shorthand fashion, what Paul's saying there is that you know, before we um, were redeemed by Christ, we were enslaved to sin. So we couldn't have that kind of deep, meaningful change that we really wanted to have. We could never accomplish it because we were in bondage um, to sin. But now, united to Christ, we can share in his victory over sin and actually change. So as we begin this new year, uh, a time in which we're thinking about change, what we want out of the coming year, who we want to be in the coming year, I want us to explore how our union with Christ gives us this change that we so desperately want. So to do that, uh, let's read together 1 Corinthians 1, verses 2 through 9. You can find it in your worship guide or in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 1, 2 through 9. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Would you please pray with me? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so uh, this afternoon I want us to consider four things. The purpose of change, the process of change, the power for change, and the promise of change. You know, there's always a joke about pastors doing three Ps. Well, I've done four. So start, we're starting off the new year really good. Uh, the purpose of change, promise, power, and promise of change. First, the purpose. You know, I think that we in our culture have a very interesting relationship with change. On one hand, we're obsessed with it. And I've already mentioned, you know, the, the bestsellers list, how they indicate that. So on one hand, we're obsessed with it, but on the other hand, we also feel that you don't need to change. You know, you, if, you, if you need to change at all, the change that you need to make is really just to learn how to better love who you already are. Uh, do you remember back in the day, uh, Lady Gaga had the song Born This Way, uh, the poet of the age? Um, she says, I'm beautiful in my way because God makes mo- no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Don't hide yourself in regret. Just love yourself and you're set. 
I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Now, I actually think that both of these messages that we receive from our culture have some element of truth in them. Only a narcissist would look and say, I'm all good, I have nothing that I need to change. Only a narcissist would think that. But at the same time, we also rightly realize that there's something so fundamental about human worth and dignity that it can't be pegged to something as fluid as change. But the problem is that I want to suggest is because we've lost kind of the biblical storyline as the thing that um, shapes our imagination about how we think about life and about uh, what it means to be human, because we've lost that, we've lost the ability to hold the internal logic of these two statements together. So we end up confused as to how to rightly think about change. And so what I want to suggest is that Scripture, the storyline of Scripture, and it's specifically its explication of the doctrine of union with Christ, is the way that we're able to hold these two things in the same hand. So let's kind of look in summary fashion just at the entire storyline of Scripture, and I think we'll start to see it. Let's start with creation. In the creation account in Genesis, we find that humanity, all of us, uh, we're the apex of God's creative activity. Every person, I mean every person, is born with a fundamental dignity and worth that comes from being made in the image of God. And that's why we can affirm, at least in the most basic sense, what Lady Gaga says. Each person is beautiful in their own way, and God truly makes no mistakes. Now that being said, image-bearing comes with the responsibility of image-bearing. It comes with the responsibility of bearing the image of God, of being in a right relationship with Him, loving Him, and obeying Him, reflecting Him. But once we hit Genesis 3, we see where things kind of start to slip. Um, sin enters the picture, and when it does, it mars the image of God within us. It doesn't destroy it, but it, 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 um, it mars it. And what it does is that causes us to rebel against God rather than reflect God. And this is where our deep-seated need to change comes from. We recognize deep down that there's something wrong, that we aren't who we should be, that we were made for something greater, we were made for something more, we were made for something more beautiful, that we aren't. And so we need to change. But the problem is because sin blinds us to our real spiritual condition, we try and look to superficial change instead. So we think that this problem will be... Uh, overcome if we change our appearance or our relationships or our job. Now the good news though is that um, scripture tells us that we actually can have this real deep substantial change that we desperately desire. You know immediately after the fall in Genesis 3 we see that God puts in place a plan to redeem all that's broken even in, in the first moments after the fall happens, um, God has put this into place. And at the heart of that rescue plan is union with Christ. 
our being made one with Jesus, our participating in and sharing in his divine life. And through that, we're freed from sin, we're given a new freedom and liberty, and we're able to actually change. So the purpose of change then isn't just to become a better version of ourselves, but rather the purpose of change is to become more like Christ, to imitate him. And so that then brings me to the process of change. How does this uh, all go about? And in order to talk about this, we need to talk about this theological word of sanctification. It actually shows up in the passage in verse 2. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Put simply, sanctification is our growing into the holiness that we have through our union with Christ. It is our reflecting the holiness of Jesus in our thoughts, our actions, and our desires. You know, typically whenever we talk about sanctification, we just talk about it in terms of, well, I need to stop doing bad things and start doing good things. I just need to be a good person. In other words, what we do is we make ourselves the focus of it. But again, I want to remind you that everything that we have is due to our union with Christ. So the process of our growing in holiness doesn't mean drumming drumming it up from within ourselves by our own willpower. But rather, it means, uh, well, it's not a self-improvement project. What it means is that we participate in the holiness of Christ and we then let that filter down into the things that we think and do and love. You know, there are two ways that in the Bible, two kind of generally speaking, two ways that the Bible speaks about sanctification. The first way is what we call definitive sanctification. This refers to the fact that when you're united to Christ, Because you participate in his perfect holiness, you are definitively holy. And regardless of what you do, because you share in his perfect holiness, you've been declared holy. But there's also what we call progressive sanctification. And this refers to the disparity that exists between the perfect holiness that you have in Christ and the way that actually manifests in your day-to-day life, which is usually imperfectly. It's, uh, you might have heard me use this illustration before if you've gone through City Church Basics, but it's kind of like hand-me-downs. I wonder, let's just see a show of hand. Uh, did any of you grow up wearing hand-me-downs from other people? Okay, most of us. Uh, whenever you get hand-me-downs, you know, usually like shirts and jeans, you have to cuff up several times because they're too long for you that is until you grow eventually you grow into the clothes that you've been given well the same thing is true for holiness you see in being united to christ we've been given this incredible gift of jesus's perfect holiness i mean it's kind of like the longest uh hand-me-downs you could ever imagine His perfect holiness, we've been united to it. And so for the rest of our life, we're going to be growing into those clothes. We're going to be growing into that holiness that we've been given as a gift of grace. 
And I believe that these two things, progressive and definitive sanctification, also provide logical cohesion for these two instincts that we feel towards change. Because you see, on one hand, it really is true that because of de- you've been definitively sanctified, you can, be, you can rest assured that you don't have to change to be loved. God's love is set upon you before you're sanctified, before you change. That's a gift that he gives you. And yet, on the other hand, God's love will never leave you unchanged. You see, the sin is the stuff that makes life terribly hard. It would be unloving and unjust if God didn't change us to make us less sinful and more holy in our daily walk with him. And so it's because of his love for us that he will change us. And he calls us to change. Now, that being said, um, if you've ever gone toe-to-toe with sin in your life, I think you'll know that it's not an easy fight. It's uh, kind of like, sin is kind of like an alligator, right? I mean, I just got back from New Orleans, and we wrestle alligators down there. It's just a thing we do. Um, It's kind of like an alligator. If an alligator clamps down on you, once those jaws lock, they're not coming undone. And sin is much the same way. I'm sure that... um, I'm sure that you, even right now, probably have some place in your life where you feel like the alligator that is sin has just tromped down on some place of your life and refuses to let go. I'm sure there's something that you keep doing over and over and over again every time you think, I don't want to do this. Why, why do I keep doing this thing? You think with Paul, I, I, I don't do the things I want to do, but I'm always doing the things that I don't want to do. Well, if that is you, and if you feel defeated by that, um, I actually want to tell you that there's good news. The good news is this, that God doesn't demand something of you that he's not going to equip you for. He doesn't demand something of you and then not equip you for it. He has given you the power to change. In verse 7, Paul says uh, that the Philippians were lacking nothing as they waited for Christ's return. They're lacking in nothing. So what is it then that, that, what are the resources then that God has given us to be able to change? Well, first, he's given us his Holy Spirit. You know, sanctification, our growing in holiness, is, it's not a lone ranger activity. God doesn't expect us to do it by ourselves. In fact, uh, if he did expect of us of it, it would be impossible. It's not something that we can do by ourselves. In Romans 8, Paul writes this, If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. If you live according to the flesh, according to your own power, you're going to die. If you live according to the power of the Spirit, you're going to live. And this very same spirit that you have within you is the very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And I promise you that if the spirit can raise Jesus from the dead, then he can resurrect the places in your life that feel like they're dead in sin. 
the places that you've given up on, the places that you've shut the door on in your heart and hope that no one's going to open it up, open it up and see what's in there. Friend, I can promise you that if you're united to Christ and His Holy Spirit lives within you, the Spirit can and in fact will bring new life to that part of your life. In Ephesians 1, uh, Paul tells us it's a guarantee. He says that the Spirit is given to us as, quote, a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit in order to help us know that that inheritance that we have, the glorification that he's going to accomplish on the final day when we live forever apart from our sins, he gives the Holy Spirit as a down payment of to say, hey, you can experience some of that future life now in this life through his grace by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're thinking change just feels too impossible, well, friend, God has given you his Holy Spirit. It is possible. He's also given us his grace. We see this in verse 4. Paul thanks God that the gift of his grace is so evident among the Philippians. You know, simply put, grace here means that God does not expect perfection of you in this process of sanctification. God presupposes that you are going to stumble a lot. Because, as it says in the Psalms, he knows our frame. He knows what we're made of. He knows our weaknesses and our failures. He doesn't expect perfection of us. You know, there are, this is obvious to everyone, there are a lot of children in City Church, which means that there are a lot of children running up and down the aisles before, during, and after the service, uh, my children included. And so because there are a lot of children and there are a lot of children running down the aisles, it means there are a lot of children falling in our church all the time. Um, and it would be so ridiculous, it, you know, if a, if a child was running, let's say uh, my son was just running down the aisle and he fell, it would be ridiculous if I looked at him and be like, what are you doing? Why are you falling? You're, you're six years old. You should, you should never fall. You should know how to walk. No, that would be absurd. One of y'all would be like, I don't think he should be a pastor anymore. <laughs> uh, it, you, would, you would talk to the session and say, we need to get this guy out of here. Um, because it's so absurd to think that a child is never going to fall. Because falling actually is an essential part of their learning and growing and how to carry themselves in life. Well, friends, the same thing is true of our sanctification it's true of how God sees you and me he expects us to stumble and fall as we're growing in him and when we do he doesn't look at us with a scowl and a wag of his finger but rather he looks at us the same way that a good parent would look at their child who just fell and scraped their knees that's how God looks at you when you stumble and fall. So God, in calling us to change, he's given us his Holy Spirit, he's given us his grace, and third, he's given us his church. Uh, look back at verse 2, it says this, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. So the word saints here is hagioi in Greek, which comes as the plural of 
hagios, which is Greek for holy. So the hagioi then, literally translated, is something along the lines of the holy ones. And so what we learn here is that our sanctification, our becoming holy, has a distinctly corporate dimension to it. And we see this throughout all of Scripture. You know, you go back to the Old Testament. God makes a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12. And he does that so that he can have a distinctly special, holy people. His covenant people. And then we get to the New Testament. And we find that the church is the... um, the, the next progression or the, or the fulfillment of that. The church is now God's covenant people called to be his holy people. So friends, this means that sanctification isn't uh, a Lone Ranger thing. It's a group project. And now I, I, I realize in saying that, some of you are like, well, and I was the only one who did work in group projects in college. Um, But it's like a good group project where everyone bears the load. You can't be sanctified alone. You can't grow by yourself. To fulfill the call to be holy as God is holy, you need the Haggioi, the saints, the holy ones, your brothers and sisters in Christ, the people who are sitting right beside you. And this is why we make such a big deal here at City Church about things like the mentoring program and city groups and just meeting up one-on-one with people. We don't do it just because we want to put another thing on your calendar, but rather we do it because we know if we're ever going to grow, if we're ever going to be the people who God has made us to be, we have to do it alongside one another. So I think the application here is pretty obvious. If you want 2023 to be the year you experience change, it also has to be the year in which your brothers and sisters in Christ are at the center of it. So friends, let me ask you this year, as you think about, you know, you've probably put some measure of thought into how you want to change this year. Um, Put an equal measure of thought in how you want to be among your brothers and sisters in Christ. Is it through a city group? Is it through mentoring? Does it need to be through an avenue? How are you going to be with one another in substantial relationships? Now, having said all of this about change, I need to be very clear with you that um, the Christian life is a lot like a roller coaster. It's always ups and downs. You know, typically, whenever we talk about sanctification, we kind of talk about it or we think about it in terms that are, we're always onward and upward, but that's just not the case. It's a lot of ups and downs, and a lot of times it feels like more downs than ups. And because of that, there are going to be many times in which you wonder if you're a Christian at all. You're going to say, you know, it's, you're going to look at your life and you're going to think, you know, it's not even just that I don't see a lot of, like, change for the better, I actually think I'm seeing change for the worse. But the good news here is that God guarantees that he is going to change you. God promises to change you. Look at verses 7 through 9. You're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. 
You know, if you're anything like me, your Christian walk includes a lot of falling and a lot of stumbling. And if that's the case, this is great news. God is faithful to his promise. And he says here that he's going to sustain you to the end. And on that final day, when you stand before him, he's going to look at you and he's going to see you as guiltless. He's not going to look at you and think about all the times that you looked at porn or that you went too far with your girlfriend or boyfriend. Or he's not going to look at you and look at all the pride and envy and greed and hate in your heart. Rather, he's going to look at you And he's going to see Jesus because you're united to him. And so he's going to look at you and he's going to see holy perfection because you are hidden in his son. St. Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 writes this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, we do not lose hope. Friends, would you pray with me? Our Father, we, we thank you that what you call us to, you don't uh, leave us powerless for. We thank you that all that you really call us to is to rely upon you and what you've given us in your Son through your Holy Spirit. Father, I want to change this year. I know that there are many of my friends who want to change here as well. We don't want to become just a better version of ourselves, Father, but we want to become more like your Son. So we pray that you would do that for us. We pray, Father, that you would put us... um, in the places where we can encounter your grace here at your church, in the word and the sacrament, and in your people. Father, we pray that you would change us, not for our own glory, but for yours. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.